0: oh i can do this shit i will be here i can stay here i belong here and i mean we all black white young old burnout's gonna happen but it definitely happens at different rates i think for minorities in general because we are going to work and there's an extra step that we sometimes are taking to conform ourselves and make sure that we can actually be suitable and safe for the workplace <music>
1: Hey there, it's Angela, and I'm so glad you found your way here to architecting. Creative careers can be stressful, and it's hard to be vulnerable, but this is your landing pad for raw honesty. I'll help you get clarity, reconnect with your passion, and have the career of your dreams. If you're ready to make a difference, have an impact, and say bye-bye to burnout, stick with me and let's get architecting. (music) I want to give a special welcome to my guests today, who are the founders of the Ohio Valley NOMA Chapter. Lestavian Beverly, the president of the chapter, Bryant Fares, who is the vice president, and Ashley Pincard, who is the secretary. Lestavia, what is so important about NOMA and why did we need to start a local chapter here in the Cincinnati area?
2: NOMA is special. It stands for the National Organization of Minority Architects, for those who don't know. And it's important because it's really dedicated to the advancement and development of minority architects. There is an existing professional organization called the American Institute of Architecture. But for people like me, don't really get to see yourself in it. And it sometimes just doesn't feel like there are people in there who are rooting for you. So this organization was actually nationally started back in 1971 by a group of African-Americans who met at an AIA national convention in Detroit. And over the course of that year, they started the organization. It's important just because you get to see yourself in it. It's mostly African American right now, but I mean, we welcome all minority groups in the organization. As although the African American and minority population represent a good portion of the country's populace, only two percent of architects are black, and it's like a fraction of that for black women. We need to see ourselves and have our voices represented, so that the spaces that we inhabit. Ourselves are also designed by people who understand our culture, our needs, the values are imposed upon us by the majority.
1: A lot of times we can unconsciously have a filter of what we think is the way things are, but the way things are doesn't have to be the way they could be or even should be. And when we hear other points of view and other voices, we can have a better profession overall for everyone.
2: Yeah, I mean, even if you just think about school, you go to a school in an affluent neighborhood versus somewhere in their city, sometimes our schools feel like prisons. And what kind of message is that versus this other school that, you know, obviously has all the great funding and such, you know, feels like this incredible place of learning where they have all these maker spaces, and fabrication opportunities, and learning, about engineering and stuff, versus you walk through the door and there's another detector right there. So we had an architect who was of color. Would that model, if you will, exist? Would there have been a different way to do that so that the students that are going through those spaces, you know, don't experience that? <laughs>
1: How did you discover architecture and what has your journey been like all the way from the school experience to that of being a firm owner?
2: It's actually one of those um, situations where a guidance counselor <laughs> kind of pointed me in that direction. I don't even know if schools have that anymore, but I was always into art, I was into science. And whenever I was getting ready to start school, my uh, guidance counselor actually suggested I was thinking about going to art school. Oh, yeah. And I took one of those career aptitude tests that they made you take back into in the school in the day. So I think that kind of pushed me in that direction. And then, you know, after talking to him about it, he just told me about all these different scholarships and things. So I went for it. And once I started, I fell in love because it was this beautiful combination of these two things that interested me. You mentioned the firm. That was actually a guy from Punjab, India. We started the firm, Paul Singh. I met him when I was at a corporate firm here in town. And eventually he broke off, did his own thing. And he'd been trying to recruit me for years. And eventually I joined back in 2021. And I joined that firm just because felt like he saw me. Uh, for who I am. I didn't have to be anybody else. I could just be my authentic black self, my uh, authentic Christian self as well. He just, like all those different aspects of my culture and my faith also, I just felt like I could let go and just be who I am. And he tragically passed away in early 2022. So in order to keep the firm alive, myself, his wife, and our other business partner, Brian, we all took ownership of the firm. One of the reasons that I could do that though is because I am a licensed architect, one of few in black ones in this city. Significant portion of the firm has to be licensed if you wanna be an architecture firm. Thanks, Louie. The development of it i went through and the support of it my ally and my great manager at my past firm i was able to get a license that's that's my story
1: i love that you were willing to kind of go big and take that risk of joining a smaller firm and stepping into ownership and that it is really paid off for you personally and professionally and brian i know you have a little bit of a different life experience also have a little bit of a track record since you
2: helped
0: start
1: the Columbus Noma chapter. So tell us about that.
0: I'm originally from Columbus, Ohio. And I guess to give a little rundown, like my, my story as well, just from the very beginning, uh, my dad was a concrete mason. So I was kind of always around construction and hints of architecture, but I was also an artistic kid as well, and I knew that I didn't want to be outside handling all the equipment, but I found it fascinating to kind of like draw buildings out and kind of ran with that. Then I went to uh, OSU and went into the architecture program, and I remember being there and just realizing that there was nobody who looked like me within most of my classes, which I mean is pretty... typical for most minority college students, but it was just really a shock coming from an inner city high school where it was majority black population to now being switched over to a majority white population. While there, I remember asking one of my counselors, like, hey, is there anything that is for students of color? Because I'm one of four black students in my class, and you know, I just have days where I just don't feel like I belong here. She actually introduced me to NOMAS at OSU. I mean, at that time, uh, the NOMAS chapter at OSU was brand new. And they were still in the process of becoming like an officially recognized chapter. I got introduced to NOMA via NOMAS at OSU. And then once I graduated, we realized there wasn't a professional chapter that existed. Want to continue with that transition and actually still had that network and all of that. So, it really was during 2020, 2020 uh, 2021, I and several other uh, minority architects around Columbus, we just, you know, got together. We started via email chain, like, hey. We should have a NOMA chapter here. And just within a matter of months, we were able to get ourselves officially recognized, get the chapter up and going. Proud to say that I was a part of that initial startup chapter and that startup committee. I'm really happy to have got that set up for my city. Um, I consider, as I had put it um, at the very beginning, uh, with a lot of them, they knew that I was going to leave Columbus eventually. So I looked at it as a um, parting gift for Columbus. <laughs> I will hope that with the chapter being there, there's another, you know, little black boy, black girl who can see that there's structure in place for them to succeed. It meant a lot for me to actually do that. I'm happy that NOMA's there, but I want them to, you know, be present, which they are. So then that leads me to being here in Cincinnati (laughs) and finding out that there wasn't a chapter down here in Cincy. I was lucky enough to actually meet Lestavian through some mutual connections. And once again, I (laughs) repeated the process. So this is my my second chapter, my second child. You know, the mistakes you learn with the first one, you fix it up on the second one. (laughs) Just extremely proud and happy to be here and looking forward to everything that we have to do in the future.
1: Yeah, so you can start being a consultant for starting NOMA
0: chapters, (laughs)
1: right? And there used to be one. When I first moved to Cincinnati in 2011, there was a chapter that kind of died out. What was that experience like to try to revive or to start over? Did you try to go back to those people or did you just say, forget it, let's just start from scratch?
0: I reached out to everybody who I knew was here for the original chapter. We had to figure out like, hey, what went wrong the first time in which it ends up like kind of fading out and dying out. Now I did use a lot of the same tactics that we used in Columbus to get the the chapter started. Like I said, it started with an email chain. So I pulled all the contacts that I had. I got whatever contacts that Lestavian had. Ashley and Lestavian can attest to it. Like I just blasted everybody with emails. I I didn't hide anybody's email. So we were all in one giant chain. If you knew anybody else, hey, add them on here, add them on here. So what probably started as a list of maybe like four or five people, it eventually grew to being around like 20-ish individuals. And then finally, one day I met Lestavian in person and we were actually able to sit down and chat. And then he actually introduced me to Jim Guthrie through AIA for one of their Jedi meetings. And he said he couldn't make it, so he just said, "Hey Brian, can you go in my place?" Um, I had never met anybody. I was just like, "Hey, I am trying to get NOMA started." I was met with warm welcome, so that was really great. I knew that people obviously wanted to have this back around. I just kept emailing people over and over, just meet here, let's meet here. It was just one of those, "Hey, if you if you're about it, then just be like, just be about it." I didn't want it to get stuck in everybody just consistently talking about having a NOMA chapter. I just said, like, hey, if we meet consistently, you know, we will form our chapter. Um, and that's what turned it turned out to be. So thankful for everybody who helped out in the beginning as well. Just with getting a bylaw set in place, knowing all the proper tax information. It was just a lot of wrangling people together and just sitting down getting the ideas that are needed and seeing, again, what were the issues that happened before that led to it fading out? I think what happened was there just wasn't as much interaction with college students as well as the NOMA chapter at UC. And I think Miami University didn't exist. So this time, we're actually lucky to have both UC and Miami University. We want to actually activate those students and be more interactive with them so they know that they have a community here and you can stay local. And then eventually me, Lestavia, and Ashley, we can just step to the side and let them actually be the leaders that we know they are.
1: When you start to form these professional networks as a student, mm-hmm. it gives you a better bridge as a professional, and you see why they matter. Yeah. We've all heard that I'm too busy, and I always say I'm too busy is code for that's not my priority. And when people mm-hmm. see the value they get by engaging in a professional organization, they start to shift their priorities. And Ashley, I want to get your thoughts on this because it isn't always just about finding architecture as a career, but being able to find the resources you need to stay in the profession as you encounter some bumps in the road in your career path. So tell us how you found your way to being an architect, and then what the experience has been like as a professional woman and Black architect.
3: My father was an electrical engineer by education. And interestingly, I kind of decided at a very early age, partly because of that background, that I wanted to become an architect. I'd been seeing a lot of these homes being built. And, of course, there's a lot of the showcases of homes. One time I was there and I just said, hey, you know, who does this? And someone said an architect builds it. And so as a result, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be an architect. And so I kind of set on that course to, of course, become an architect. But with that, I found myself also having an increased interest in things like not just architecture, but also in civil and infrastructure engineering, which architects oftentimes in the profession tie into a lot of that as well. For me, it was kind of a little straight line, but in later in career, it also kind of fanned out a little bit more into other matters. Fortunately, because of things like, uh, you know, recession, different things, which I know a lot of architects have had the experience, it's been a very interesting and kind of become a non-traditional pathway.
1: You've had experience with NOMA and other cities where you live. What did that then lead for you to want as you worked on creating the chapter here in Cincinnati?
3: My first experience with NOMA was actually in Nashville in 2006. And that was when a couple of Black architects and designers were trying to start up a NOMA chapter. At that time, Nashville, while it had kind of a larger number of Black and minority architects in comparison to Kentucky, at the same time, the representation was still quite low. The organization that we founded was Black Architects Collaborative. And with that, we started trying to lay the framework for creating a NOMA chapter. I can't remember what specific year Nashville finally got their NOMA chapter, but a lot of that framework was laid around that time. And it was just nice to be able to congregate with, even if it was just a handful at the time, with other minority architects who could speak to their experiences, different ways of approaching different problems, um, and not even just problems, but just non-traditional pathways of practicing architecture if you need to go in that direction and you've also worked in dc that was where noma really had a much stronger presence because dc has if not the largest congregation of black architects in the metropolitan area of the united states it's one of the largest that was really pushed noma was pushed much more It was very, very nice to see the fact that there was a much more robust membership and it seemed to be there was a much more robust effort to bring a lot of diversity and equity in a lot of the uh, firms. At the time when I was in D.C., it seemed like because there was a much larger, much stronger presence of NOMA, a lot of the firms and companies treated the integration of diversity almost like much more naturally or seamlessly, it did mean that there was the absence, the total absence of issues that generated, you know, the creation of Noma, but it just seemed like it just was so much easier. And I think that left a very strong indentation on, on me in terms of the power presence.
1: Yeah, it definitely framed some expectations. So describe that experience then when you decided to leave D.C. What were you looking for in terms of career opportunities and professional networking because of what experiences you would had in D.C.?
3: My move from D.C. landed me back in Louisville. And to continue some of my studies for civil and infrastructure engineering, but also because admittedly, recession was uh, looming and it was one of those, okay, the cost of living is, you know, getting to a point where it's completely prohibited. My migration went back to Louisville before actually migrating up to Columbus, Ohio, several years later in 2021. I would say that was probably one of the best moves that I made because it did get me into a position where I could start kind of resetting and really start moving my career in a direction that I finally wanted to move it into before landing in Columbus, unfortunately, due to uh, the death of my mom. That's kind of what actually helped me land in Cincinnati. Cincinnati has always been a city that has been a personal love of mine because of a lot of the historic landscape. I mean, Cincinnati was always just fascinating. The rolling hills and um, just the architectural scene, looking at Zaha Hadid's uh, project around the time when I graduated and I actually interviewed for a couple of firms Just walking in downtown and seeing Zaha Hadid's Modern Museum, I'm like, oh, this is incredible. I mean, I was so excited about it. I'm like, this would be an incredible place to practice because it seems like the city had a vested interest in bringing those kinds of projects there. So I kind of did sort of like a big, weird loop to land here in Cincinnati. But it's been a pretty interesting journey for me. I graduated in 2005. And now I moved in January 2022. It's nice to see a little more than 17 years later, the robust efforts to bring a lot of urban techniques in to start bringing more of those projects in. So that's been very nice. And now starting to include a lot of the diversity initiatives and starting to try and incorporate more people into that process. you were in Brian's newly founded chapter
1: while you were in... Columbus. So you've had a sampling of how they work in different cities. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean for what you think is
3: important to have as a resource here in the Ohio Valley chapter? Cannot say it enough, definitely mentorship. The mentorship aspect is probably for me one of the top assets that the Cincinnati, the Ohio Valley chapter can have and provide for a lot of students and recent graduates. And even those professionals who've been out for a couple of years, who've just kind of been and doing their own thing who just maybe need some, you know, advice on how to move their career or advance their careers further. Mentorship would definitely be number one. The second is just an ongoing continuing education. It could be a multitude of different things. You have
1: chosen to work at a minority-owned firm. Mm Liz Davian had talked earlier about his experience moving to a minority-owned firm. Brian, I wanted to ask you, because you have worked at a larger firm, so you've had a little bit of a different experience. If someone is trying to decide what's right for them, what would you tell them? Are they better off at a bigger firm that maybe has multiple offices and more connections? Or why might they be better off at a smaller minority-owned firm? And does that even matter?
0: Like you would do with any, you know, just job search, you're going to always check out where you're applying. (laughs) Honestly, one of the things that I did when I would, like, check out a firm, I was just see how many faces of color that they had. Where were those faces at? You know, how high up were they? How long were they? Uh, If they had a bio that just, you know, gave information about Some firms, they make sure that diversity is an initiative of theirs. Or they do projects that are, you know, all about diversity and inclusivity. So those are definitely elements that you want to seek out. I don't want to say say I would say you know I can see the benefits of a smaller minority firm just based on um, conversations that I've had with individuals who do work at the general community that you can get within it, and you know you are seeing leadership that is reflective of who you are, and it lets you know that you have that longevity. While at the same time, if you are also at like A firm that does care about not just you as an employee, but DEI and like any goals that you have. Although you may not get that exact community, you'll get the support and the quote-unquote blessing of you know reaching out to the that community or that firm and interact with said community. I'm think SHP, the firm that I'm currently at. They kind of knew from the very beginning that hey, Brian is very pro DEI. I'm going to come here, I'm going to let you know real quick, like, hey, I think this or that. We should probably improve here. We're doing great here. I'm thankful that they very much did not silence me when it came to, like, you know, trying to get NOMA or just pull minority architects within the industry. Thankfully, my firm has paid for my conferences, they paid for my membership, you know, and they just said, like, hey, just keep doing what you're doing. The goal that you have, it can be reached, it will be reached. I look forward to just seeing how we have an impact here in Cincinnati, getting more minority architects within the city itself.
1: Liz Davian, what are your thoughts on this?
0: I've really only worked in two architecture firms in my entire
2: 10-year career so far. I think that the big corporate firm just gave a lot of resources just to learn. So I learned how to be an architect and learn like some of the more complex facets of architecture. So, I mean, I've worked on a lot of industrial buildings for about five years and some commercial buildings for another two or three. And those are like really complicated projects to learn. So you just, you know, have a lot of resources that you can tie into, a lot of interior designers, graphic designers, a lot of senior folks that you could go and just ask all your dumb questions to. (laughs) And, And I took a lot of advantage of that. But then they've also got the resources to buy study materials, pay for all your tests, like Bryant mentioned. Although I was very low population wise of you know being black people in that firm, I had the advantage of just an incredible manager and mentor. It was just behind me and constantly pushed me. I didn't feel like I was held back. He saw that I was a smart guy who could, you know, take on the challenge, and he constantly pushed more and more and more and more on Um, until you know I was leading projects, had a a couple of clients, and if they had a new project, I was the number on their phone. Seven hundred thousand square feet projects that I'm uh doing all the CA and everything on. So just. Big, big opportunities to learn. However, in that environment, they have their process, they have their way, they have their direction. They don't really change in the ways that you want them to as fast as you want them to. It's funny. Like I, I had quit that job once, like <laughs> three years in, when I, because I'm originally from Louisiana and I was getting the homestick. And, you know, I, I had nieces and nephews being born. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to get a job in Texas and my friends' firms, be a lot closer and they'll be able to go home for the holidays and stuff. And they actually counteroffered. I stayed. And that's why I'm still here, honestly. Now that I'm with this smaller firm, I'm able to use a lot of those skills that I learned and grow some that I never had for my personal purpose and goals. I think that was the bigger Part of me moving because that that firm that I was at just wasn't doing a lot of the work that I wanted to learn that I feel is my mission in life to figure out. Moving to the smaller firm just gave me a lot of exposure to that. When I moved to that firm, I already knew just during negotiating coming on that, hey, conversations about becoming an owner are going to come in the next few years. I didn't realize it would be a year because of tragic circumstances.
1: I started off at a very small firm and was doing things I probably would have had to work for at least a decade to have had the opportunity to do at a larger firm. A smaller firm, you're going to wear more hats. You're going to get much more hands-on experience. What you've talked about that was my experience too is my boss empowered me. And because he didn't doubt me, I didn't doubt me. And so I'm just like, sure, I can make a website. Sure, I can represent a project at a public meeting for rezoning hearings. Sure, should I have done those things? We could argue, but did I get really good experience? Absolutely. There is value in the experience. Value that someone is looking to give you, that they care about you getting, matters
2: a lot too. Yeah, I think I was just really blessed not to have some of the really terrible experiences that I've heard a lot of my other colleagues of color have, whether in school or professional. Um, I think I've just been in some very fortunate, personally advantageous environments to grow. In. I think for me, it's more about what do you want to learn and who do you want to be around when you learn? What can you stomach? <laughs> If you could stomach being, you know, around all the white people every day, then fine. That's what it's going to be for a long time, because all the work that we're doing isn't going to bear fruit for probably decades. This is a long game. You got to grow that muscle and learn to work with these folks. That doesn't mean that, uh, you know, if you really desire a place that you really feel like you can just be yourself, that exists out there.
1: Absolutely. Belonging can make a huge difference. And Ashley, I know we've shared some war stories in the past (laughs) and wanted to give you a chance to chime in because I know you haven't always had the experience of being in a supportive environment. When Mm -hmm. you felt like things weren't what they should be, how Mm -hmm. did you know it was time to leave? Because a lot of times people will say, well, you know, you can't have out of line expectations or you have to get the experience or pay your dues, mm-hmm. but how do you know the difference between being held back
3: or needing mm-hmm. to put time in to get a skill set? Just I mean when I graduated from college, I actually took about eight months to finish putting together my portfolio as well as just rest from five years because my five years in undergrad at UK it wasn't the worst experience as a Black student, mind you, a Black female student, but it wasn't the greatest. I think there were some people who just had a genuine ignorance about what minority students go through. You know, things as simple as you do lectures. Is there any persons of color? At UK, some classes can go several years without having a single Black student in their class. I was the last of seven Black students that started that first year. I was the last one by the end of the first semester, first year. I learned that I would be kind of by myself for a very long time. That in and of itself did not bother me. But I think walking into work environments where you have architects that to cuss out a intern. And when you mention it to people and they sort of see it as like, oh, that's just the way that person is. And you're like, microaggressive behavior. That was, I think for me, it was like, it's, it's time to go. My first job, It was at a kind of small to mid-sized firm. With that, I got a lot of great experience, but it was just a culture that at that time, they just had gotten so used to everything being the way it was that trying to even gently mention things like, hey, this is not okay. And they just like, it's just the way it was. And that was it. And so Mm. that was when I recognized it was time to go. Had the opportunity to work in really large firms where it was great having the experience because some of those larger firms do, to the Point, get a lot of those really larger scale projects. And it's... Great to see them because there's a different way of practicing. There's different workflows that you have to apply when you do get to those large-scale projects, especially with the introduction of softwares like Revit. And even before Revit, there was MicroStation. There is a special way that you have to accommodate those projects with it. So that is the advantage of looking at larger-scale firms. Kind of going back to sort of the smaller firms, do get your hands into much more because there's less people to do those things. It's very interesting to see the different dynamics, even in offices, larger scale offices. Some seem to really be focused on providing resources to their employees. Some do push through, you know, licensure and some don't because there's only one or two people out of all of that organization, that are going to be putting their stamp on the drawings. So depending upon your leadership, they may or may not want you to get licensed or really care. I've experienced both. I think most with the exception of one has said, no, regardless of who's stamping the drawings, we still want you to get licensed. We still want you to have that background to still be able to do the work. And then there's some to like, we just want you to be a cat monkey, produce, produce, and we put you on this certain area, do door schedules, you know, do door details all day, every day. Colleagues in the industry, they've done door details and door schedules. They can tell you everything about that. But because they worked in sometimes in some of these larger firms that really just you're just production only, that's almost all they've done. Their experience is limited. I think the other part of it is deciding how you want to practice. It is good to look at whether or not your firm or the firms you're looking at do care about Mm -hmm. minority presence and representation. I think sometimes it does boil down to how do you want to practice at the end of the day, too. Hopefully the firms you get to the leadership from even a mid to a senior level are definitely geared or focused on making sure you get the exposure and experience to get you to that point where you are managing the projects should you decide to do so. I'm a little bit geared more towards the kind of mid-sized firms. Because you're kind of large enough to where clients, prospective clients can see you doing larger scale projects, but you're not so large to where your processes become kind of bureaucratic of sorts and you're not totally pigeonholing some of your associates into certain production modes and on specific things, everybody has the opportunity to have a very well-rounded approach or hands-on experience. That's a great point because
1: it is not just about getting a job or getting experience. It's are you being positioned? do have the career you want, and given leadership opportunities. You currently are working at a minority-owned firm. The founder of that firm, David Kirk, also started Camp, which, to get mm-hmm. back to what Lestavian was saying about, it's hard to even get Black architects in the pipeline That program is geared towards middle school and high school students who are minorities to expose them to architecture as a profession and hopefully be the top of the funnel there. How much of an impact do you think things like that actually are having?
3: I have done mentorship of other minority students from my time in undergrad at the University of Kentucky. I participated in a a panel just last week, the Women in Architecture panel, and I mentioned this young woman whom she was poor. And interestingly, she got enough exposure to even see architecture as a remote possibility. In my efforts to try and get her to start talking with people in the university and even in the actual program to try and get her a pathway in, she she decided not to go into architecture because she at the time that she was a student through the Lexington Community College, she was in Section Eight housing. She was very smart. She was very talented, and she was working in their kind of con- some of their construction or drafting classes. And she just told me, "It's she's like I am poor. Like whatever profession or job I take, I have to make sure that I am able to take care of myself. The limitations financially is what will do it for me. And I, I'd be alive if I said that my heart did not shatter because it." Probably was one of the first times where it really became clear to me that even for me as a minority, there was a tiny bit of privilege I had because both of my parents were educated. Now, mind you, both of my parents, originally from Alabama, my father Opelika and my mother Birmingham, both of them were born and raised in real poverty. So I always had an understanding and appreciation for having those resources, but also there is a limitation for me. So programs like CAMP, I think, gives kids not just the exposure that architecture is an avenue for you to take, but it also connects those students with professionals that later on as they start charting that pathway, if there are potential financial roadblocks, that connection is there that could guide them in the direction on how to get those resources to make that not just a possibility, but a reality. Lestavian and Bryant and myself had discussed this with the Ohio Valley NOMA chapter. What do we do when we have active students in NOMA? like, what do we do with those students if something happens where there's a potential financial roadblock? You know, how do we address that? Those are real challenges. I really do believe that programs like CAMP and NOMAS has the potential to help remedy those, to send people to the right place to get the resources that they need.
1: That commitment is really showing in how you've started off as a chapter. You became official in October 2023, and you started off strong by heading to the National NOMA Conference, and the students came along too. They were entered in a charrette where they performed very well. Bryant, could you talk a little bit more about launching that way on that national stage?
0: First off, um, shout out to UC, shout out to my girls. I was really, really uh, proud of them for what they did. Do you understand UC's architecture program, or just UC's university in general, them being on co-op, It was real difficult for them to do the design competition like traditional school would. So just to see the work that they churned out in a matter of weeks. And thank you to all the professionals who even came out to help them out with their charrettes, give them just even last minute pointers a week before the uh, competition and the conference going out there as like an officially recognized chapter and being in leadership of that chapter making sure that i represented strong for uh you know the ohio valley region playing them like hey we're here we may be a little small right now and you know a little quiet but don't worry we're here to make noise as you can see our students are clearly killing it you can see what the future is going to be for us if these young women were able to do this they clearly were doing something correct out here and being a voice for the region, and just letting folks across the U.S. know there are minority architects within the Cincinnati area. The theme was building bridges. That's kind of what we want to do here in Cincinnati. With their chapter having been defunct and then now being back, we need to build those connections again with one another. There's a number of people probably around the city who had no clue one another existed. I got here, I knew nobody. I had one person, and she ended up moving away, but. She built a bridge for me, and I met Lestavian, and therefore, we made all the connections. And that's what I want to bring back here is, you know, I want NOMA to help build all those bridges and connections that everybody needs, because at the end of the day, you just need the mentorship. You need the community. It's great for networking. You never know who you may get a job from. And that's something we really want the students to understand is that, hey, if you are a part of this chapter, this organization... You don't know who you're in the room with. You could be in the room with a standard new associate to a firm, or you can also be just sitting right across the table from a CEO and guess what? He's having a great conversation with you and now you're being put into an interview and now you have a job. We definitely want to make sure that building bridges is brought here as well as community. Because one thing about the conference, Portland was my second time going last year was Nashville. Each time it feels like a family reunion, you just feel like your complete authentic self all the way around. A lot of people say like, oh, you know, when they go to work, there's, you know, code switching is a thing that we do. That didn't have to happen there. I showed up, I was myself, I spoke like myself, and I looked like myself. And it was just really great. And that's what, you know, we want that same vibe to be here as well.
1: That's an important thing that I think gets overlooked. Is when we try to homogenize everybody that we lose authenticity and that shows up in our work. Do you feel that you practice differently because you're able to show up more authentically?
0: Oh, definitely. After my first conference last year, I came back with I want to say just energized, I had a brand new battery in my back. I tell everybody, like, you need to go to the conference just because I came back and I was like, oh. I can do this shit. I will be here. I can stay here. I belong here. Because, you know, you get worn out. And I mean, we all, black, white, young, old, burnout's going to happen. But it definitely happens at different rates, I think, for minorities in general. It's because we are going to work. And there is an extra step that we sometimes are taking to conform ourselves and make sure that we can actually be suitable and safe for the workplace. And conference gives you the tools to, like, show you how... To kind of like really fight all of that how you actually are able to show up as your authentic self it's going to be acceptable because you have the right tools to just show that i love the conference it's needed when i came back the first time went to leadership and i said like hey one make sure that you keep funding this uh, make sure that you continue to allow your minority associates to attend it as well as i also want somebody in leadership to actually attend one of the conferences just because I want you to see who I am as my full self. I think it's important that you see the importance of this conference and how there's so much representation here and seeing how your associates who you see at your firm are, they may seem like they're quiet or they may seem like they're somewhat different. But once you're there, you're like, oh, wow, they're real vocal here. They're real active here. came back and I said, like, yes, continue to fund it. Please show up to this conference at least one or two times. The burnout was gone. By the time Portland came around, I was like, I think it's time for me to go ahead and charge back up. Same thing probably, you know, next year where it's like, hey, I'm ready for a new charge. And I look forward to just, you know, taking on the world afterwards.
1: I don't think we can underscore enough the power of networking, the power of being around people who, when you say something, are going to help you double down on it and help you see how it's possible, not how it's a crazy idea. Let's, well, Davian, let's close out with you. You're now officially president. Right. <laughs> being president makes you a figurehead, it makes you a spokesperson. What do you really want to leave people with in terms of why they should be part of this, whether they're here in the Ohio Valley chapter or anywhere?
2: One answer I want to give is, who's that said that uh, Brian Issa, right? Because I'm rooting for everybody Black. That's like, what? <laughs> That's, yeah. I think that the importance of it and what I want to leave people with is that you can do this. You have a place here because we made one for you, and that you have a larger community that you can lean on out there. That's significant whenever you go to a new place, if you have a community that you can immediately just tap into a lean on, and you don't have to worry about, are they going to accept me? Are they going to like me? Are they going to care? They're going to care. They're going to accept you with open arms. And it's going to be like you found a new family every single place that you go. So that's what we want to create. When I moved from Louisiana to Ohio, I had no one here. I was in a new place, in a new city, a new season of my life, my first corporate job. And I was on an island. For years and years and years until I finally decided that it was time for me to get out of grinding away at this and just thinking about career, career, career. And it's like you know, it's time to start thinking about community and like how I'm going to give back to. You. I think that's the important part of what we want to do here, as well as we really want to give our people a way to give back to our people. It's hard for architects. We work long hours, all the time, during the weekends, so finding those opportunities where we can give back is hard, but if you can give back by doing what you love, by showing other people who look like you, feel like you, think like you, showing them this thing that you love, now you kind of have a way that you can give back to your community. To show them this other career path, this other passion that they can grow within themselves that they didn't even know they had. So that's really what I want to do. I want to get that pipeline that Brian mentioned. I just really want to feed that pipeline. Cincinnati is uniquely positioned that we already have the early stage of it with the camp program, which was started by our uh, NOMA members. Uh I think 17 or 18 years ago, so we already have that, so now it's time for us to make the next step. Now they're in college. How do we support them? Now they're out of college. How do we support them? chapter is really going to focus really hard on those latter stages. Those college students, those young professionals, got some black business owners in them, some people in upper leadership positions. For those of us who uh, are like me, young, young business owners, now I needed that mentorship. I thank God I I was able to you know call David Kirk, I talked to Vince Terry. I recently met Wade Price. In my eyes, it's like oh these the big three, you know. <laughs> you no, know, they they are here really doing it. So I was able to meet them. I wouldn't have met. David, if I didn't start volunteering, join the camp board, I wouldn't have met Vince. And I don't think I would have met Wade. I think I was actually on NOMA's networking website. I was like, who is in this chapter here that I don't know? And I jumped on. I was like, Wade Price, what? And I shot him an email. And I said, hey, I'm starting a NOMA chapter. He was like, let's talk. And it was like the next week. He wasn't too busy. And that's the thing. Like, I feel like every time I've talked to somebody in NOMA, we're not too busy for each other. We always got time to help out. We got time to mentor. We got time to just, you know, spit game, you know, teach somebody what they need to know. That's what I'm trying to give back is like all that knowledge all that mentorship, all that time, somebody was able to give me, I need need in my heart to get it back. I'm also a Christian, as I mentioned before. So in my eyes, leadership means service. It means serving all of those who are supposedly beneath me. No, I'm at the bottom. And I am here to just facilitate everything that our membership wants to do. So our membership wants to be mentors. And how do we make that happen? I'm here to kind of find that need and to facilitate it and to make sure that, you know, they have all the processes they need to to find the money to do it, to organize, to meet the right people, talk to the right people so that they can do the things that they love until they're ready to then take a step back and serve in the house.
1: you all have done a great job of building a warm and welcoming community. I've been to two of your events and have stayed to the end when I only thought I would drop in for an hour because (laughs) I just had so much fun. And I think that's part of it too. Really feeling like there was fun and meaning and in being there makes you want to come back. Tell us how we can reach the Ohio Valley NOMA chapter if anyone would either like to join because they are local to the Cincinnati metropolitan area, whether you live in Ohio or northern Kentucky, or if they just want a little bit of advice for their own chapter or they'd like to start a chapter.
0: If you're looking for information on the Ohio Valley Noma chapter, feel free to check out our Instagram page. It is Ohio Valley Noma, all one word. Feel free to shoot us a message on there. We do have LinkedIn. Always feel free to send us an email at our official email, OhioValleyNoma at gmail.com. We all have access to the email. You'll more than likely get a response within a day for sure. Our personal LinkedIn pages, just direct message us on there and we can still tell you more information about it as well.
3: I believe there's a NOMA chapter at UK, but in terms of a professional NOMA chapter, there is none, I believe, in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. The deliberate reason why we called it Ohio Valley NOMA was also to extend to those people beyond or more southerly to Northern Kentucky who would also like to become an ally of NOMA. And it might provide some further inspiration for places such as Louisville and even Lexington and maybe hopefully Down the road, establish a Noma chapter. So, membership is also extended to them as well.
1: Thank you all for being on today. I've enjoyed talking to you. I know I've learned something, and I think our audience definitely got a lot out of hearing not only your personal stories but the story of the birth of the chapter here in the Ohio Valley.
2: Thanks for having us, and you're welcome to thanks for having us us at all our events. Thank you. Yes. Mm
1: Thanks for listening. If you want even more content, head on over to architectingpodcast.com and subscribe to my newsletter and get some great free downloads while you're there. Be sure to follow me on social media, on Instagram at architectingpodcast, Facebook and LinkedIn pages are architecting, and the YouTube channel, architectingpodcast. Stay inspired.